Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. I'm joined today by Dr. Tim Dacey, who's the author of a book, Wisdom Factories, AI Games, and the Education of a Modern Worker. He's also an education consultant, and we're going to be talking about his book and how artificial intelligence is arguing for some foundational shifts in how we think about education. Tim, welcome to the show. My pleasure. This should be fun. Yeah, it should be fun. Your background is fascinating, and the book is a really interesting read. I would recommend it to our listeners. We'll try not to give it all away in the conversation, just get you curious enough to learn more. Before we get into the book and what you're talking about here, Tim, we'd love to hear a little from you around who you are and how you got to this point in your professional journey. So my academic training is in engineering, electrical, computer, biomedical engineering. When I started working with AI back in the late 80s, this was the early days of machine learning, and my focus was a little different even back then from a typical AI engineer um, in that I was focused on modeling the brain and on analyzing neurological signals. Mm -hmm. So it was always a bit of me in the human learning world as well as in the machine learning world. Mm -hmm. After graduate school, I got a job at MIT Lincoln Laboratory, which is their national security hub. And I was there for 30 years and, and you know, first developing AI over probably a decade or so. And then the last 20 years leading groups of you know, anywhere from 40 to 80 scientists working on government problems that were always gnarly complex and sometimes even existential. So mm -hmm. that gave me a bunch of perspectives on a variety of, you know, was always getting different tasks. A lot of that work in the AI space evolved eventually into an aspect of that, which was about game development, which we were using to try to understand how AI might fit into people's decision processes. Mm -hmm. but it turns out it was also a great learning tool for them. And then I left MIT, you know, kind of a combination of COVID and, and stepping back like a lot of people did, left there last year and decided to chart a new course, really from Instead of being on the AI development side of the equation, I wanted to be on the human side and trying to understand how people can deal with this new resurgence. Right, which is part of why, in addition to the AI, the fact that you're now leaning into more the education angle and how new trends can and should be emerging around how we teach folks how to work with AI, how we hopefully adjust mindsets and mental models around the role of humans and how humans can and should engage. And that's ultimately led you to write the book, Wisdom Factories, AI Games and the Education of a Modern Worker. Can you talk a little bit about what drove you to write the book? Yeah, I mean, it really started in my mind about five years ago. And it was a combination of just watching the way AI had evolved, starting to see some early work that were doing things like automating parts of AI engineers' jobs and writing code and things that really a lot of the community thought wasn't that possible just a few years before. So it was brewing. And I, in, in parallel, I was doing a bunch of writing, but really not much of it got out. After I left MIT, I decided to put my head down and kind of coincided with when ChatGPT came out, but yeah. really wasn't motivated by that. Yeah. But so. then the book itself is about wisdom factories. Can you give some context around why you chose that 
title and how you're thinking about wisdom and some of the challenges we're facing nowadays? First of all, I didn't want to write an academic tome. I wanted to write an accessible book. And that may be informing parents and workers as much as informing educators. So I chose the word wisdom because I thought it had an intuitive feel to most people. And I contrast that in the book with expertise and talk about how schooling has been largely focused on building expertise. And the wisdom you know, goes by different names in the education community, you know, 21st century skills and creativity and collaboration and critical thinking. Mm -hmm. Really, I'm talking about those same kinds of skills, but I'm saying that those particular skills have to be focused on large, multi-perspective, multidisciplinary problems, mm -hmm. because that's the only way that some of these intangibles start to start to really manifest. Yeah. And that connects a bit to the game theory side where you're talking about wicked problems and the difference between complicated and complex problem spaces. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, this was a distinction I, I discovered as I was writing the book, but I found it a really useful one. Complicated systems are ones with, you know, lots of pieces. So you can think of your block diagram of whatever system you're working on, and you can identify those peaches and the gazendas and that goes out as of all those boxes. Yeah. And at some level, you can model the individual pieces, right? And so we've become as a society since the industrial revolution, really good at building complicated systems. Some of those systems have people and machines, but you know, it's about defining the work lanes, defining the task breakdown and plugging different combinations of people and machines into those roles. It's kind of like the industrial model in some ways. That's right. That's right. So, you know, building, you know, the SpaceX spaceship is a complicated problem, right? The complex problems are different in the sense that they have unexpected behaviors that can't be modeled. They're so intricately uncertain and you know, so use the word complex, probably overusing, but they have elements that cannot be reduced to individual boxes on a block diagram. Or if you can, you may be unclear about what those things are doing. So think of any decision in COVID-19 mm -hmm. response, for example. You know, that's a complex problem because the problem keeps changing as the outbreak evolves. Anything you do is going to have unintended consequences. You need to consider what the disease is doing, but you also need to consider the psychology of people, yeah. how cultures react, mm -hmm. what's doable versus not doable. There's all of these factors that no one discipline. Now, I had spent a lot of time modeling infectious disease outbreaks because I used to do a lot of work in pandemic and bioattack defense. Yeah. But I still didn't have a full perspective on all of these other factors that would influence decisions, economic and otherwise. So complex systems just can't be reduced well to block diagrams. Yeah. And they're, they have to be addressed as an ongoing incremental. Complex systems are ones that, that you never really will have a full answer to. You don't solve complex problems. You manage them. Yeah. Right. A military commander in a war will never be able to anticipate all the ways that work can evolve. Right. So the way that they have to deal with it is to manage situations as they come up and improvise according to long term goals or right. strategies. But 
without the ability to fully control how the system behaves and how the environment in which you make decisions is evolving. So complex problems are fundamentally intractable ones, and they occur more and more commonly in work roles. And AI will really push job tasks toward that. You know, you're going to have AI munging lots of information Mm -hmm. in ways that it does better than people. Mm -hmm. But people still have to figure out the context in which the AI information is useful or not. Mm -hmm. And the full set of knowledge that has to be pulled upon. AI isn't going to know, hey, go look at, you know, how people react in this situation because that's an important factor. Maybe that's never been explored in human history because you've got a new novel problem. Right. Anytime somebody in a marketing group, for example, in a company has to market a new product, that's likely a complex problem now, not a complicated one, you know, because they, they will have to understand how the psychology of their buyers might work. How's a salesperson going to sell it? Can an engineer actually build that? And all of that goes into a strategy, which is about really these nuanced judgments. Mm-hmm. And that's very different than, you know, the 20th century where a lot of jobs were repetitive, yeah. relied on memorized detailed information. Yeah, it makes sense. There is a, a through line there to the concept of expertise and also to what AI will be good at. That's more on the complicated side of the equation. And then if you start thinking about complexity, that's where... Most likely, I imagine it will be humans plus AI that will be tackling the really important complex problems, one of which, in fact, is AI. And how do Mm -hmm. we build the guardrails around it? How do we understand how to point it at the right problems? And just to be clear, the book is a bit of a call to action for our educational system to respond to some of these ideas and to reimagine itself, really, in a lot of ways, to equip its learners with the skills, the mindsets, the approaches that will be relevant for this changing world of work. Can you talk a little bit about that, how the current educational system may not really be equipped to handle the complex problems, the shifting landscape with AI and the future being so up in the air? Yeah, there's a few ways to look at this. But what I would say is that the education system lives in the broader world. And so when the context of the world changes, so too should the education system, right? And so a lot of things, the education system and schools do a pretty good job at adjusting, right? If there's some new invention or some new method in biology, they're going to, at some point in a progression, if someone's going to become a biologist, they've learned that, right? What they may not learn is that, well, biology in 10 years, or maybe one could argue now, is going to become more of a computer science field than a pipetting field, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And so if they went through college or their education and learned how to be great in a wet lab, that actually may mean they're out of business in 10 years Mm. because all of that is going to be automated. Mm. Right. I'm just mm-hmm. putting that out there as a hypothetical. Yeah. And a warning to pipetters everywhere. <laughs> I mean, to a large degree, some of that's already automated. But, you know, the real point is that, you know, when we enter a realm where you can't be sure when you get out, even if you're highly educated, 
that your career will exist? Yeah. Or if it does, it will, will it be at all reliant on the same kinds of skills or knowledge? Yeah. It pushes you to a different kind of paradigm mm -hmm. when what you need to be teaching people is how to adapt, how to learn continuously. It's always been a goal of the education system, right? Teach yeah. people how to fish rather than giving them a fish. Mm -hmm. But it's not been one that's highly realized mm -hmm. in the system. Yeah. We do it in some domains, but we teach reading and writing because we want, we feel that's an underlying fundamental to learning in general. Right. Right. Now we're reaching the point where a lot of these other general cognitive skills, like how you relate to people, like how you even understand yourself so that you can figure out how AI can help you. Yeah. How do you think critically? How do you make sure that you're, you know, you have a creative input to something? Those actually rely on knowledge too and they rely on certain processes and practice mm -hmm. that we don't give our students enough of mm -hmm. and i should say our students i'm not a teacher right now so that's probably unfair i have two kids that's why i tend to think of our yeah. <laughs> students they're just they're just getting through the college process right and so you know we talked pre-show about how military commanders because they can't understand how war will evolve spend a lot of time teaching leaders how to improvise. Yeah, the SEAL Team 6 famously lost a helicopter. You know, that probably wasn't specifically in their training manual going in. It was more, here are the mission objectives. Here's what may happen. You go through enough scenario-based thinking so that you're flexible and adaptable. There are ways to train that type of thinking. But that's maybe where I would go next, where, you know, following your line of reasoning. And the book, I will say, is quite accessible. I would encourage anyone to pick it up. You know, in some ways, we have to counter the perception that AI is for other people. It's actually for everyone. And we all need to kind of grapple with things. You know, we might have thought our learning days were behind us. But if anything, there's constant learning and new things that we're going to have to be discovering really for the rest of our lives. But if I were to follow your reasoning in the book, and there are even some examples that you put in there, it does argue for a pretty foundational shift to how we think about our educational systems. Can you talk about where this may lead in that context? What is happening right now in the debate that I'm hearing in the in schooling circles is a great deal of discussion and worthy discussion on how a teacher's job changes and how the student's role and, and dynamic with that teacher evolves because of AI. So yeah. it's about how AI impacts the existing work roles right. and changes those roles. Mm -hmm. What I'm really trying to say is that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is the world's changing, Yeah. right? And, and if your system is still teaching, if we're still going through high school with algebra, geometry, pre-calc-calc, mm -hmm. okay, that was a moon-launched era set of disciplines, right? right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing in there about understanding information and data science. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in there about understanding, you know, graph analytics or just a probability on association, associative networks, yeah. probability. There's not much in there about, I guess, what I would call problem-first thinking processes, mm -hmm. Right. It isn't so much important to know how to solve math problems anymore. Right. Because what's important is that you know how to get a computer to do it. Mm -hmm. And so right now, 
the typical scientist's job is figuring out which math to pick. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't teach the which math to pick skill. Right. In the not too distant future, when AI is going to understand which math to pick, then it's going to be about how do you frame the problem mm-hmm. so that AI can understand which math is best. And so these are increasingly abstract considerations. They're increasingly focused on the problem or the challenge du jour, mm-hmm. as opposed to having some set of knowledge bricks that we lay one level at a time and eventually get to some. You know, in some ways, I would call that teaching students to be professors, whereas I think the distinction between what a professor does and what a worker does has never been greater, hmm. with the worker increasingly being called upon to be multidisciplinary, mm-hmm. to deal with these squishy factors that can't easily be defined in one domain or another. So I would say, for example, if we're really serious about teaching wisdom skills or call them 21st century skills, let's say, where are the courses in those domains? K through 12 has decided they're going to layer that on top of every other course. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to teach critical thinking, you need to treat it like reading and writing. It has a set of experiences and processes and meta knowledge and you know best practices. You know The best classes I had in high school, many, many moons ago, for those who can't see my bald head, was one that was, I think it was called media studies. And it was all about how advertising tries to manipulate you. Right. Right. And that stuck with me so much longer than anything else I learned. Mm-hmm. I think it was in the English department. Mm-hmm. Anything else I learned in that department. Mm-hmm. Because it was pulling on those bigger cognitive skills to try to critically think. Yeah. And, and so that's layering it on top of subjects. I said that class would have been even better off if it now looked at, well, what are those kinds of factors that are present in the science world? How are they present in relationships and how people make decisions and judgments? Mm -hmm. And those are all teachable things. We don't teach them because there's a much greater resistance to changing curriculum than there is to changing knowledge pieces that we teach as part of the curriculum and courses. Yeah. And even how we teach the actual tactics, problem-based learning, collaborative learning, experiential learning, those terms of art do resonate more with generating the wisdom that you're describing. The other term that you used that I'd wanted to get a little bit more color from you on is experience and the importance Mm -hmm. of experience, the idea of learning transfer, where learning something in one context, and then exploring whether that same framework, mental model, understanding is applicable when it's transferred into another context. How do we design an educational system to provide the right types of experience as early as possible that's problem-based and collaborative? And the book leaves some of this open-ended. It's basically in the space of problem formulation where we have a challenge on our hands. Let's identify the problem. And then once you do that, it changes the conversation and ideally gets us all focused on the right things. The key is to set the compass heading and then unleash the creativity in the educational world. And there's a ton of it. No single entity will have all the right answers and top down be able to make the right choices. For one, because it's going to be an evolving and, and learning process itself. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That is what we think we need now may change in three years when some new AI product comes out that completely changes the ball game. And I think we're at a point in the evolution where that's more likely than not. The way I would put it is we need to stop thinking and structuring our mental models of education in terms of disciplinary domains, right? So that's how everything works, right? You get credentials, you take courses in certain lanes and subjects, and you don't learn these wisdom skills. You may learn them within a domain. I may learn how to do a chemistry experiment in my chemistry class, but I'm not learning that that skill has some similarities to how I go about solving a a business management problem, Mm -hmm. right? And so historical studies of transfer learning are just incredibly hard. It's very hard. And it's especially hard for these very big picture notions, right? If Mm -hmm. we do research, generally speaking, people try to understand if detailed knowledge got transferred from one realm to another. Right. That's because that's easier to measure. And similarly, when we talk about these vague 21st century skills, we don't really know how to measure those very well. Right. But the workplace measures them because it sees what people can accomplish Mm -hmm. and how they think through problems. So we need to stop limiting what we know is right and best to teach because we don't know how to evaluate it. There's a lot of work that needs to go on in how to do that. But the only way somebody is going to learn how to address a big problem is to make sure that they are given problems that are big. And that can be done at any age. You know, even as a kindergartner, I could teach my kids about unintended consequences of things they were doing. Right. right? That's a form of a reaction of a complex system. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I talked to another kid. In the following way, they reacted this way. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect that, mm-hmm. right? Why might that have happened? Or I, you know, pulled a pulley and it resulted in this, this reaction. But if I kept doing that over and over again, the string broke, right? So, so there are things even at early ages that you can teach that are transferable skills and that build our intuition, yes. our tacit knowledge, mm-hmm. not our explicit knowledge. And yeah. it's that tacit knowledge, that intuition that really drives a lot of transferability. That's fascinating stuff because I've gravitated to this in a few of the conversations I've had about AI lately, both the idea of embodied intelligence, the idea that human intelligence actually exists in our bodies and in space. And there are all kinds of affordances that the robots are going to take a long time to catch up to. So there is something you know, unique and advantageous to the natural intelligences that we have. And then that's just what we can physically quantify. I think it's easy to take for granted, to your point, how much of what's truly transcendent about the human experience is stuff that we can't quantify or verbalize or measure just yet. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much of what we need in adult life is more abstract than it used to. And and we can see this from IQ test results, for example. You know, back in 1900, I think the number was somebody with an IQ of 100 today. That's average because they always set it to 100 for each, right. each year. 
would have been a genius level back in 1900, right? The average back in 1900 would be a 68 or cognitively impaired for now, right? right? And a lot of that is because of our ability to deal with abstract thinking and problem solving better. Yeah. And so humanity is evolving and improving. Whether school has had a big role in that, I'm sure they've had some role in it. But a lot of it is because the nature of what we're exposed to in life is more abstract than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And that's a difficult thing now because, you, you know, the lore of education has always been like, make it tangible to students, make it mm-hmm. something they can touch and yeah. feel, right? But tangible now may not necessarily mean physical, mm-hmm. right? It's one of the reasons why I think games are a good tool for teaching these big picture skills is because it's a manifestation that's tangible, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to a kid, a kid it doesn't necessarily mean they have to be in some high immersive realm or live on a computer because a lot of the lessons can be taught with pretty simple graphics. It's just presenting the problems in a way that students can try, can fail, can learn a trade-off or a complexity or an interaction that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to get from a simpler problem. Yeah. What I like about the game analogy as well is that it is a social context by definition. Like maybe you're competing against yourself, but in most contexts, there are at least competitors. And frequently there's a combination of competitors and teammates and potentially, you know, non-player characters, depending on the, mm-hmm. the type of game that you're doing, you know, non-human elements. And all of that as again, a mental model or a framework for people to understand. The related point, which I definitely get in your book and something I've been thinking about more lately, is the risk of saying certain things should not happen in school. You should not use generative AI in school, for example. Thankfully, you know, I'm here in New York City. Thankfully, the Board of Ed moved back on that decision. And now there is more integration of these new and emerging generative tools into a school context. It's the same thing around gaming, where if you think about the time that the rising generations are spending, not just the rising generations, all of us are spending playing games, engaging with these kinds of more playful experiences, we're still learning at a very foundational level in those contexts. And I think there's a real risk that we separate that from the traditional model of the expertise factory that is what schools frequently wind up being, you know, to the point where like, you know, keep your Minecraft, keep your Minecraft out of the classroom and no chat GPT when, you know, four or five, 10 years from now, they're going to have to go into a work context where there's going to be some expectations that you just know how to use all these tools. Right. And I think this is where maybe the educational system doesn't understand how unique they are, Hmm. right? Because they can decide to ignore something that's happening in the world. Workplaces can't. Because if they do, and their productivity isn't as good as the next entity's productivity, they'll Mm -hmm. fail. That doesn't happen in education because we really don't know how to measure how well the system does anyway. right? Right. I know as a buyer for college for my kids... I couldn't tell which school was better. Was yeah. it worth this money, extra mm-hmm. money for this school versus that school? There is no way of knowing. And so that can allow the educational system to stay siloed from the mm-hmm. rest of the world and mm-hmm. to just say, I'm not going to do it. Look, there are obviously times I want somebody to read and write, right? And I 
I'm not going to get there by always having them use generative AI, mm-hmm. right? There are times when it needs to happen. But at some level, we already have a disconnect between, so for example, in computer science, it's long been the case and recognized that if you teach coding, one of the early steps is letting people analyze other people's code. Before you even have them create their own, it's a stepping point to be able to say, can I understand what mm-hmm. something else It's did. like reading a language, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So you can imagine that a chat GPT generated text is something that people have to analyze and pick apart as a step maybe prior to when they're writing their own. Right. Right. But I still, I'm going to want it at certain points and not at other points. Yeah. It can't be ignored because it's a tool that will be so pervasive in society, these AI tools, that it's like, it would be like letting kids out of school without ever touching computers. You know, we would never consider doing that in the modern age. Yeah. And I think the flip side is also going to be interesting where you're hearing a lot of folks talk about personal tutoring chatbots. Are there any ideas like that as someone who's been, you know, deep into some of these contexts over the years? Are there any emerging use cases or or things you think will be popping in the educational context in the future? Look, it's going to be a it's going to be a deluge. I think there's a tendency to think of these AI models as, you know, as problematic and having words and being inaccurate right now, but that's really going to change. A lot of the way that's going to change is that these niches will start to be filled with more authoritative data. Mm. And so that, that will be true. I think you'll see a thousand. The difficult part for education is going to be, how do we even tell the wheat from the chaff from all these? In a broader sense, I think the most important set of tools will be in freeing up teacher time. If they can create a lesson plan or an assessment or an activity or grade or do any of that faster, it could free up half of their time outside of the classroom. Hmm. My goodness, what that would enable in terms of their creativity toward getting better or changing, Mm -hmm. right? You want the system to change. The individuals can't be stressed out Mm -hmm. to the degree they are. Right. You know, I had a very limited amount of time teaching in middle school, but that was my biggest takeaway is my goodness, all the time outside of the classroom, a lot of it's drudgery. Mm -hmm. And that's where AI can really help. Yeah. The second big place is obviously in the student experience and in the fact that there can be some entity, we'll call it, helping a student when the teacher can't. Right. Teachers only available certain hours of the day, even when they have office hours. The rest of the time is open space. The same is happening in the medical community, right? Mm -hmm. Where we talk about what happens outside the office. Is AI picking up on the fact I'm having a panic attack right now or or whatever before I get to my therapist, right? Right. So we talk a lot in that community about taking advantage of that, of understanding someone's health outside of of being in front of a white coat. And I think the same is true here for students. Where that will lead in terms of how students learn and what they learn, you know, I think every school is going to have a different answer to that mm-hmm. in the near term. And I think that's good. Mm-hmm. I think that variety, if we can distill the lessons, is very important. Yeah. But the general purpose of the book is to say that's not enough, mm. right? If you don't also serve and, and present students with these more abstract, more complex problems to deal with, yeah. age appropriately, 
then they're not going to learn those general cognitive skills appropriately. Yeah. And it's kind of an argument for giving students the time to engage in those types of exercises as well, where sometimes you're under time pressure, but at least you're not trying to jam all the information in because there's a high stakes test coming next. It does feel like there is a real tension between some of what you're putting forward and sort of the existing measurement apparatus where maybe in the future AI and better data instrumentation can help us evolve past this phase of high stakes summative exams that are really driving the whole course of your educational career. We only have so much time with you, Tim. I'd love to have you back. His name is Dr. Tim Dacey. The book is Wisdom Factories, AI Games, and the Education of a Modern Worker. It's a really interesting read. I would encourage folks to check it out. We'll include links in the show notes. As we wrap up here, Tim, folks are heading back to the rest of their lives. Any concluding thoughts, any takeaways for folks who've listened to us today? I guess I only have one thought. I think most people would rightly consider myself to be a lurker around the educational community, but not part of it. I'm working to change that. One of the concerns that I have is I see a lot of rhetoric, especially online, but it comes up implicitly at times as well that the only people who should weigh in on these things are teachers and educators. Mm. And I think this is definitely a time in education history where that aperture has to be opened up. Mm. People in the business and AI communities should have a larger than average voice on what the system needs to drive toward. Mm. And I think together, they certainly don't understand what teachers do by and large. Right. But together, they each have perspectives, and both of those sides are needed to solve these problems. Fantastic stuff. Tim Dacey, Wisdom Factories is the name of the book. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thank you, Mike. It's been great. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, share the good word. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>